What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The Podcast Critics have spoken. Has this guy ever actually interviewed anyone before? And? Wow, that was long. And? I don't have time to listen. Very busy. Sounds like this podcast isn't winning any awards anytime soon. Uh, he did win an award in 2011. Stop living in the past. What else with Corey Mann? Wherever podcasts are sold. Isn't it free? Part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. SIFBOT Podcast is recorded in front of a live internet audience. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that is just a bunch of boys who don't have anything under control, it's SIFPOP. That is overly specific it can (laughs) be linked directly to us right now welcome to sif pop streaming live on spreaker every saturday afternoon or available to download later in your podcast feed unless of course you're a patron patrons get perks patrons get those perks kirsten I'm Aaron Dicer from YourMovieFriend.com. He's Andrew Ormsby from Flick Freaks. Ahoy! Each week we'll chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. Welcome, Andrew. Duh. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Welcome to all to come and have this conversation uh, on First Man. I can't wait to talk about Damien Chazelle's new movie. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have a bunch of fun. We've got, of course... Um, buried treasure at the end we've got a sif quest that you've sent us on and we're also going to do best director win percentage yeah which is very specific yes this could be very interesting i i i don't know how long you spent on this section of the podcast about 20 minutes i spent probably an hour or so just trying to make sure i wasn't forgetting someone and here's the thing I guarantee I've forgotten a director. I guarantee there's somebody you're going to mention. I'll be like, oh, yes, I can't believe I forgot him or her. I decided to go with a very short list that way, like, because I don't want to. Okay, I'm not going to get into it now because I was about to. Let's get into it later, but I'm really excited for this conversation on which directors for us have the biggest win percentage. In other words, movies that we at least really like. So not just like. But really, really like, like. Yeah. so um, probably like B plus and above, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, um, so we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, but we like to kick it off first with some do we care? Every single week, I scour the internet to find out what is going on in the entertainment world. I pick some topics for us to discuss, and we must decide whether or not we care about them or not. Number one, James Gunn has found a new home at wow. DC, directing Suicide Squad two. 
and Dave Batista wants to join him. Of course he does. Batista's been the most vocal about the whole James Gunn thing. Yeah. Um, and maybe I, this is just totally guessing on my part. I haven't heard anything anywhere about this, but I, you know. I would guess has a lot to do with the reason that Guardians 3 is on hold right now. I'm guessing Dave Batista is like, I ain't doing it without James Gunn. So mm, uh, that, That's speculation, though, right? Total speculation. Okay. And honestly, there are contracts involved. So, you know, like... <laughs> you don't mess with Disney. <laughs> right. Disney messes if, with if you. If he's under contract... <laughs> oh, boy, uh, Mr. Batista, you better get in here. <laughs> Um, I, man, I don't know what to think about this. I, I will say this, the things I hate about Suicide Squad, and there are many, Yeah. Um, there are many reasons I don't like that movie, was not the cast, you know, it was not the, you know, I think Margot Robbie and Will Smith were, you know, fine for those roles. Um, so I, there, there are things built in that aren't necessarily the problem. So maybe if you bring a, a new director on, maybe you make a good Suicide Squad movie. I don't know. I I kind of think he might be able to pull it off. I'm excited about the possibility of them shooting a DC movie during the day. <laughs> you know, it's just... I, I That was one of my biggest complaints with that movie. I could not see what was going on. Right. And unlike you, I was not a fan of that cast. Yeah. I don't think that they did that... Good of a job portraying the characters that I grew up knowing. Mm, see, I don't have any of yeah, that. Margot so. Robbie is Harley Quinn. You know, she did really good. Uh, but other than that, no, Jared Leto was a terrible Joker. I didn't even like Will Smith's well, Deadshot. Well, but see, I don't even, I don't even, I wasn't even considering Leto's Joker. Because, I don't like Will Smith's Deadshot either. Okay, I did. Yeah. Um, he's like the most grounded, I guess, of all those people. Yeah. Um, oh, I take it back. Uh, Olivia, what's uh, what's her name? She did... <sighs> Olivia Munn? No, she wasn't in that movie. <laughs> or is it Octavia? No, not Octavia. Ah! Anyway, there was one <laughs> other person I thought did a really good job is Amanda Waller, but I can't remember her name. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll look it up for you just to... Thanks. Just so we can make sure we've got it in front of us. But, um... Yeah. I wish we had, you know... Uh, devices in front of us that we could, you know, easily look this stuff up instead mm -hmm. of just guessing. But, you know, that's just not how I roll, man. Uh, let's see. Viola Davis, Viola Davis. is who you're talking yeah. about. She did a, actually a really good job as Amanda Waller. Yeah. So I, I didn't mind that. I just don't know how. I don't know. I, I don't know how you come back from that first one. And honestly, <clears throat> I don't know for sure that James Gunn is the reason the Guardians movies are good. So I, there's a lot unknown right now. You know what I mean? Like, it's just there's there's so many factors in a movie being good. Yeah, because I look at James Gunn's other movies, and I'm not really a fan. Right, exactly. So, yeah. It's definitely going to get people to go and see it, though. People who don't know James Gunn's earlier work, and they're solely going off Guardians, right. and they see him going to Suicide Squad, they're right. like, oh, it's automatically going to be good. Yeah. You and I know different. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> lots of factors. Lots of factors. Number two. Number two. Iron Fist is not coming back to Netflix. Yeah, they canceled it, right? Yep. Possibly going to DC or Disney Play. Oh, really? Possibility. It's not confirmed. Well, and that makes... I mean, obviously, Marvel is owned by Defend Disney. I don't think they're making another season of the Defenders, Defenders. either. Yeah. You know, if, if Disney Play had uh, existed... 
when they were launching their Marvel TV, it obviously would have been on Disney Play to start with. So yeah. I guess that kind of makes sense. But um, I watched uh, Iron Fist in the Defenders, but I did not watch any of the Iron Fist. It's really bad TV. That's what I heard. Yeah. And with so much that I've heard is good that I haven't watched. You know, like it's harder and harder for me to invest in something just because it's in the cultural consciousness, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's sad because I'm really a huge fan of the other three, I guess four, um, Marvel Netflix properties. I love Daredevil. I love Jessica Jones. Luke Cage is awesome. And Punisher's really good too. So, um, I didn't, I, I Luke Cage was fine. It, of, of all of them, it felt. The you, all of those shows actually feel their length to me. They're very unique, and it's that's maybe why I didn't like the Defenders when they put them all together. I don't think they mesh together because they I were didn't so. Mind the Defenders, I wasn't really a fan. I wasn't a huge fan, okay. but I'm also not a huge fan of Luke Cage. I do like Daredevil, mm-hmm. um, and I really like Jessica Jones, especially season one of Jessica Jones. Is just crazy good. Is the best season of any of those those shows, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think... You, season two, Daredevil? Season one, Daredevil. Oh, yeah, I like season two better than season one. Really? Yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love them both. Yeah. But, uh, and I even like uh, season one of Luke Cage a lot. Yeah. But definitely not on the level of like season one, Daredevil, or yeah. season one, Jessica Jones. It'll be interesting. I it doesn't. I mean, I guess it doesn't surprise me. It only surprises me in that Netflix doesn't cancel a lot of things. <laughs> like, yeah, really. <laughs> they keep going if with If anything, stuff. they just green light four other shows to make up for one right, show. Right, right. Yeah. I wonder if they'll ever uh, feel the, the financial pinch at some point and just quit greenlighting stuff, but it's insane. I mean, a new Paul Greengrass movie just came out on Netflix. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. July 22nd, I think it's called. So, um, this isn't a side. This isn't part of Do We Care. Yeah. Uh, during your showing of uh, First Man yesterday, yeah. did you see a trailer for a movie brought to you by MoviePass? Um, I don't, I'm not in there for trailers, so uh, I don't, yeah, I don't I forgot, pay attention to the I forgot who I was anymore. talking to <laughs> yeah. for a second. I saw a trailer for a movie, and it said, brought to you by MoviePass. Well, it's a foreign language film. MoviePass is making movies. That's uh, that's always been, like, they've made a couple movies. No idea. I There's, have no idea. In fact, there will be a MoviePass movie coming up later on the podcast. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Um, but yeah, remember there was that whole thing about the, the Gotti movie, Travolta? Um, that was MoviePass? That was MoviePass. That they mov- produced that, yeah. <laughs> The movie's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That was a winner. Number three? Yeah, bring it on. Margot Robbie will play the live-action Barbie. I don't care! That's going to wrap it up for Do We Care! <laughs> <laughs> it was such a slow news week. Oh, Honestly, man. though, do you care about that, though? No. Okay, yeah. That's going to wrap it up. Um, I, Did we ever talk about Narnia coming to Netflix? Uh, I think we... Did we? I don't know if we did or not, but well, like, if man, we didn't, then just let's throw it in. Narnia, uh, a series, is coming yeah. to Netflix. Yeah, I'm excited to see what they do with the property. I, I don't feel like that property has ever been fully treated correctly. Even the movies that I kind of like, you know, um, they just they get stuck on the the Pevensey kids, and they don't understand. There's this whole expanded universe. Forgive the phrase. Yeah. That they can be drawing from, you know, uh, Silver Chair and the Horse and His Boy and Magician's Nephew are great, fantastical fantasy stories, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. Too bad you got Liam Neeson <laughs> being a lion. That was a terrible Liam Neeson no, that's impression. The best one I've ever heard. No, it's not as good as my Arnold impersonation, though. 
No, that's the best. You ready to head on? <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's keep it going. Uh, we're going to do a review of First Man. Only after we master these tasks do we consider trying to land on the moon. Neil, if this flight is successful, you'll go down in history. What kind of thoughts do you have about that? We're planning on the flight being successful. The vehicle's not safe. We need to fail down here so we don't fail up there. This isn't just another trip, Neil. You're not just going to work. Do you think you're coming back? First Man is the riveting story of NASA's mission to land a man on the moon, focusing on Neil Armstrong in the years from 1961 to 1969, a visceral first-person account based on a book by James R. Hansen. The movie will explore sacrifices and the cost of Armstrong and the nation on one of the most dangerous missions in history. It is called First Man, is directed by Damien Chazelle, stars Ryan Gosling as Neil Armstrong with some other great talent in there as well. Jason Clark. Jason Clark, I was going to mention. Claire Foy as Janet Armstrong, Neil's wife, um, and lots of other faces you probably know, even if you don't know their names. Uh, Well, a lot of, oh, yeah, we can't forget uh, Coach Taylor, you know, we got to get Kyle Chandler in there. Oh, yeah, Kyle Chandler, of course. Uh, I was surprised to see Pablo Schreiber in this. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's just a, a lot of those people that you can kind of know and love from other things. Um, Corey Stoll is in this as well. Yeah. So, uh, what would you think? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? High side, I liked it. High side, I liked it. Mm-hmm. I am on the very firm side, I loved it. Awesome. Um, man, I had so much fun at this movie. Damien Chazelle just has my number. I really feel like if there's one new director that I would that I would give the mantle of the new Spielberg, it's Chazelle. He's one of the two, I would, yeah. Who would be your other one? He's going to come up later. Okay, fair so, enough. Yeah. We'll wait till we get there. The thing, the thing, and the reason I say that is because Spielberg had this thing where he made great movies, told great stories, but picked variety choices. Like he didn't, you know, wasn't in a single genre, but they all kind of had a Spielberg feel to them. Mm-hmm. And Chazelle is kind of the same for me. I look at the three movies he's made. They're very, very different. They're all so different. You know, Whiplash and La La Land and now First Man. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I, I, I'm just, I'm in awe of his talent. And there's so much of the technical side of this movie, which I guess we can start there mm-hmm. as we kind of go into positives. Um, the technical side of this movie is astonishing. As in, as in the shot selection, the close-ups, the not the CGI. Not well. I don't even. I didn't even know there was. I any saw CGI. some pretty shoddy CGI work. What? In this. Really? I did. Yeah. What was it? Uh, there was. Is one... it spoilerish? To th- I mean, by the way, they make it to the moon. They make Spoiler it to the moon. Alert. Yeah, <laughs> you can't spoil this movie. Really, actually, there. There could be some things about Neil Armstrong's life that people may not know that may be surprises in the story. So yeah. maybe um, we don't spoil those, but you're right. Uh, there was some parts with the rocket taking off. I'm like, uh, you could have cleaned that up just a little bit. But huh. going back to one of that. the rockets taking off, but going yeah. back to um, uh, parts of Neil's life that you know possibly a lot of us don't know, I'm going to expand that a little bit to... The Gemini project that possibly yes. a lot of people don't understand yes. how dangerous this yes. was. I had no idea, and I feel really ashamed for my lack of knowledge about it because seeing what these guys go through and what happens to them, 
you truly get a better appreciation for the sacrifice that was put forth to make this goal possible. Let's just talk about this for a second, because if this movie does anything, it, it does put into perspective, which, by the way, the word perspective is going to come up a lot when I talk about this movie, because it is the main central theme of the movie about finding perspective and mm-hmm. seeing things from a different perspective. Um, but the the idea and perspective on the fact that half a century ago, next year will be 50 years. Yep. Half a century ago, we went to the moon. Like, we said, you know what? We're going to step on that thing, and we're going to do what it takes to get there 50 years ago. And I think it was 60 years before that we learned to fly. Right. Yeah. And what this movie does is it puts into perspective exactly how they duct taped their way to the moon, basically. You know, like just the fact that, you know, science and math are beautiful and great, and there's no way we do it without them. Mm -hmm. But the engineering and the, the physical aspect of these machines and holding them together and all the parts, uh, I just, it's mind blowing that we did this. And you see stuff like one screw not tighten. This isn't a spoiler. This is no, just no, no, a hypothetical. No, no. A hypothetical, yeah. yeah. You see a hypothetical of like one screw not tightened all the way in the ramifications of that. Like yeah. how everything has to be perfect. Yeah. And if it's not, these guys, these astronauts, these titans of men have to show you how smart they are and how they can quickly adapt to the situation. Yeah. It's something that the Martian did good and it's something that I think this one does even better. Yeah. Be- maybe it's for the fact that this is real. I don't know if that's the case. Um I know that has a big impact on me. I've talked about that many times when I know it's based on a true story and there's, you know, true experiences. It yeah. just it, it it blows my mind even more. Yeah. Um Claire Foy kills it in this movie. She's so good. So good. I think that's a that's a shoe in for a nomination right there. I think Gosling's a shoe in for a nomination too. He's a con for me. Really? He's kind of uh flat-faced in this one. Yeah, but you still feel everything he's feeling. Like that's kind of the whole point. I don't know if that's the Neil Armstrong that I saw all these interviews and he always seemed like, you know, a rock star because that's what these guys were. You know, they you have to have that rock star gung-ho mentality and yes he does that but what gosling does in this movie is he shows all of his emotions and stuff through his eyes yeah there's not much happening anywhere else on his face agreed um and it just didn't work for you as well it didn't work for me i'm not saying that he was bad i'm just saying that it could have been better because i've seen gosling do better i well see Hmm. Here's a, there's a different there's an interesting difference between what you're going for and succeeding at what you're going for. So in my mind, I think you are disconnected from actually what he was attempting to do. I think Ryan Gosling is giving the exact performance he intends to give. You know what I mean? Like I think he's nailing the performance he's trying to to do. I, I just, totally agree with you on that point. It's that I just per, would have preferred a different take exactly. on that character. Yeah, exactly. That's personal preference as opposed to actual con right there. So yeah. I, redacted. I I, <laughs> <laughs> I think well, it, it all that stuff impacts the way we see film, right? You yeah. know, so I I think that's perfectly valid. Uh, down the line, I couldn't find a bad performance. You know, that's another thing I, I love about this movie is I think Kyle Chandler's perfect. I think Corey Stoll is so great uh uh coming as in as buzz aldrin yeah um 
there are there are moments he's the one to me that understands the most about being a rock star and and I think that kind of at least my understanding was the the makeup of that crew is that you know Neil was the you know the leader stoic get it done and yeah. Buzz was the joker yeah. blunt rock star vibe kind of guy and then Mike Collins just hanging out <laughs> just hanging out <laughs> doing Mike Collins things I was just I've, have you ever wondered like what it was like for Mike Collins you know to watch you're, there's two of three people in a ship, and you're the one that doesn't get to go and walk on the moon. Yeah, I, it was it was interesting. I the other thing this movie does very well is I feel like it helps you, it grounds you in the perspective of all these different people. So even even for him, which that was Christopher Abbott, I think that played that role. Um, he. He is so interesting because his mind is Lucas Hayes. Was it Lucas Hayes? Yeah. Okay. Who I is, couldn't remember who played who played which. Christopher uh, Rabbit was David Scott. Oh, okay. All right, fair enough. But what what I love what I loved about him was that his he has to make the trip home alone if they don't manage to get back up there. Yeah. I never Ooh. thought about that. I didn't I had, until this very second. I, I had never considered that the idea that this man who wasn't going to the moon, sure, it's kind of a bummer. The other guys are going down to the moon and you're man in the ship. But even more on his mind was I may have to drive this, you know, ride this thing back alone, knowing that my buddies are left just to die in space. Like, yeah. The way this movie makes you consider the realities of what we did. Mm-hmm. almost 50 years ago is kind of mind-blowing to me. It also seems, I don't want to say, <clears throat> um, I'm trying to think of a better way because what I was going to say is it seemed almost careless and reckless because of how many risks were being taken. Well, and that's what this movie brings to the forefront as well, which I yeah. loved. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I really did like this movie. Yeah. I know whenever... No, you've got some cons coming up. That's I fine. Cons, I t- yeah. totally, totally understand. Yeah. I'm actually excited to hear them because I, I have very few yeah. cons to talk about. Um, but that other part of it, this movie really laying into the idea of the sacrifice and should we have done this? You know, was it really that important? Um, There's it, a good line, but I'm going to have to wait until spoilers to talk about answering that question. Yeah. 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 I think the movie deals with it fairly. Mm-hmm. I think it deals deals with it um, in, a, in a really interesting and philosophical way. Um, and, you know, there's I think I know the exact line you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's a, one of my favorite parts of the movie. It's like one of those moments that will always stay with me. Oh, yeah. From this movie. So I just I was really impressed with. Uh, how this movie just puts you in ni- the 1960s, pretty much the entire decade of the 60s, and said, this is what happened. I was surprised by the the expanse, uh, the time frame of this film, and how it felt like it, it felt like it went together well. I never felt out of, like I never felt jarred by a time jump or anything like that. It, it no, felt like it made no, no, a lot no. of sense. Yeah. They always let you know in the movie, too, whenever they, you know, skipped ahead a little mm-hmm. bit, so. Yeah. Cons? 
Well, I, one more thing. Uh, no, I mean, go, yeah, I, please, no, I have please. A, I have a ton to say. List them all. Um, I'll just list quickly. Uh, I thought it was beautiful. Uh, if you get a chance to see it in IMAX, see it in IMAX. Oh, did you? I did. Ooh. And the reason I say that is because Chazelle uses the IMAX screen in a very thematic way. Um, it's almost spoilerish for me to talk about, but I'll just say this movie is only shot in IMAX for a very short amount of time. But when it is, is very specific to a specific reason in the story and what's going on. And it's beautiful and gorgeous. And I absolutely love that. I think the music and sound in this are absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Justin Horowitz, right? That works with Chazelle on all his music and stuff. I think, yeah, because he did Whiplash, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and La La Land. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I am blown away by the music he put in this movie the way it uses certain real life tunes and then also the way it uses the score uh there is a moment in this movie where it just kicks it up i know exactly what you're talking man every single hair on my body stood on end because you just want to go let's do this america (laughs) let's do this yeah yeah it's so that stuff's pretty incredible uh i'll you know mention that um i just from the one thing I haven't talked about that I do want to spend just a little more time on, we're just talking about going to the moon. Mm-hmm. What's incredible about this movie is that's almost the second story. <laughs> like the first story is about this man. That's why the title is called First Man. This is yeah. a story about Neil Armstrong and what he had to deal with in his own personal life and how that reflected on his journey to the moon and I, like mind blowing to me. I'm going to keep using that phrase because that's that's the kind of experience I had with this movie. So totally get it, man. I totally get it. Yeah, tell me what you didn't like. Uh, first, one more thing. I was surprised how claustrophobic this movie can make you feel. Well, and that's definitely purposeful. That's that uh, purposeful. That's that whole perspective thing. Yeah, because you don't. I didn't anyway realize how there literally was no room for these guys in these. Oh in yeah, these shuttles. you're stuffed in a tin can and thrown towards the moon, man. Like, yeah, like you're there's no room to move around or anything. You are strapped to the chair till you get to the moon. And yeah, you got a panel right in front of you, and you can kind of turn your. We well, you have that see- one moment where you have to squeeze to the lunar module. Yeah, you know that's going to land on the moon, and just the fact that this movie goes into the details and helps us understand the details of the Gemini Project and of the idea of. Do we just land on the moon in one ship or do we actually take a second ship up there and land on the like the decision making process? Yeah. Like it's just I so many moments come to mind and and just even the decision making process yeah. in this film. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay, cons. Yeah, lay lay it on me. Um I already talked about how I just wasn't Didn't connect on... to Gosling. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You did. I did. Um I did. one of my big cons is pacing in this movie. I think that there's when it's up, it's up. Mm-hmm. But there are a couple moments where it just kind of drags on just a little too long for me. I don't know if we need to wait to spoilers to kind of get in when those moments are, because I definitely didn't feel that. Okay. I was definitely invested for the entire two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like uh, When I looked at the my watch coming out, my watch, I never wear a watch, my phone yeah. coming out of the movie, I was like, oh, wow, that was two and a half hours. I had no idea, because I never felt it. I um, felt it a little bit. So I'd be curious to know when those moments were. Yeah, um, I'll save them just because they're, they're kind of specific. Yeah. Okay. Um, other con I had was oh, 
now because now I'm thinking about how I could phrase that past one. Uh, <laughs> uh, other con I had was probably the fact that it, and this is again personal preference, mm-hmm. but I think that it plays a big enough role in this historical event that I should bring it up. Okay. I think the fact that the movie didn't focus enough on how we were competing against the Soviet Union really impacted why these guys were doing what they were doing. Wasn't focused on a lot. Kind of misses a lot of the point of why we went to the moon. It was a competition. We wanted to beat the Soviets. It wasn't... uh, Kennedy could have... Yes, Kennedy said, we don't go to the moon because it's easy. We go to the moon because it's hard. That's a challenge to the Soviets, really. And the fact that this movie doesn't focus on, and I know it's based off of a book, which is based off of, you know, only Neil's perspective. Neil Neil understood that this was all a competition with the Soviets, from what I've read. So, Well, once again, I just, I'm not seeing the movie the same way. Like, I, I saw that all again, over this like movie. Like I said, personal preference. Well, but I saw, <clears throat> but I, but they talk... All the all through this movie about in passing. No, it's like the focus of the first third of the movie. Uh, like there's very specific. Like there's several very specific scenes about them getting angry because the Soviets got to this mark first or got to this mark first, and it's like, you know, we're gonna beat them to the moon because you know we're tired of losing to them and all these other you know marks. So yeah. I just I do remember that very specifically that that was. You know, seem to be a big part of it. So, but honestly, those are the only cons I have. And again, yeah. a lot of those are personal preference as yeah. opposed to actual criticisms. Yeah. So, take that with a grain of salt, people. A grain of moon dust. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. The only con I could think of is that it, the Earth it, was shown to be round instead of flat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, what? the only con I can uh, the only con what I can think if of it shows Ryan Gosling looking at looking at Earth and it's just flat and then the credits roll. <laughs> uh, yeah, the only con I can think of is that they made this event appear as if it actually happened when we all know it was filmed on a soundstage. Oh uh, yeah, somewhere Stanley Kubrick so, was taking care of that. Come on, uh, no, mine isn't really a con, but it is kind of a warning. Uh, I think there will be some people who do not like this film. In fact, I know actually one person has told me this on Twitter because it is so claustrophobic because there is so much shaking, uh, the sound, the images, it is purposely put it, trying to put you in the headspace that they were in, but it's to the point you can't understand what they're saying. Um. Okay. Like whenever maybe I just had really good sound at the IMAX. Have, I don't know because I I I understood stuff. Like whenever the rocket's going off and it's really loud and shaking mm-hmm. and they're talking in there, you could understand them. Mm-hmm. I couldn't hear a word they were saying. The only things I can think maybe I didn't necessarily understand everything is just you know kind of like the dial, you know, like the Houston communication of dialing to them and whatever. Yeah. To me, it always sounded. Yeah, like a really bad uh, you know drive-through maybe, you menu. Know what I mean? No, I agree with that. You know, you know what? Maybe it is. I think obviously, I think that's intentional. Yeah. to put you in their headspace again. Of they are getting very crucial instructions from a voice that they can hardly hear or understand. But I think the things that they were saying in those moments weren't necessarily important to our understanding. Yeah. Of the story, yeah. is kind of where my brain is at. Was it like a large coat with that? That's all I heard. Um, but uh, but yeah, the only that's the only negative thing I can really think of that I would put in that category is uh, you're going to feel this. 
And that could trigger you. I mean, that could be a trigger to some people. It's a and trigger, but for me, it's a pro because I, it makes I, I it agree. realistic. No, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I totally. And it's the point of the movie too. But so. I could see, yeah, to the to that point, if you get claustrophobic, it's a trigger. Yeah, it's a good trigger for well, me. Well, and I will say, even the movie does this really interesting um, mirroring thing where the the things they're going through for the space launch are also kind of mirrored in his real life. Um, and so not just the space capsule is claustrophobic. The camera gets claustrophobic in his real life, too. Like, the rooms aren't necessarily claustrophobic, but the the angles are very close yeah. um, in the conversations. And it, it puts you in tight spaces and um, in claustrophobic spaces in real life and in the mission, um, which again, I thought was genius because you know, I see what he's trying to do because, um, certainly that is how Neil Armstrong felt yeah. in both cases. So, but there's, okay, I'll just say this. It's it, they landed on the moon. We can say that. Yeah. Right? The part where he actually walks out and lands and like, he opens the capsule and he starts walking out. Yeah. That's the first time I actually felt like, you know, relief like exactly there's space and it's purposeful there's, there's a lot of space there's like maybe too much space <laughs> maybe because this entire movie's made you feel so closed off uh-huh but maybe that's just how armstrong felt and then that one moment in that one moment he was relieved yeah and not just with the mission no with yeah his life as well yeah. like it's just it's so beautiful thematically the way this movie plays with perspective and with openness and um, I'm excited to talk about some of that stuff in in the spoilers. So whenever the scene comes up and you know the one st- one small step for man, was that actually Gosling or was that the actual Neil Armstrong? I couldn't I don't tell. Know. I couldn't tell either. I thought it was like. I wonder if it's a combination of both. Yeah, that'd be interesting, right there. I don't know. I, it obviously was him whenever he said the Eagles landed. Yes. But whenever it was actually him walking down, I was like, I can't tell if that's Neil or if that's Ryan. Yeah. I like that though. I do too. I yeah. lo- I just I love again. I just love the choices Damien Chazelle makes. I I'm so excited to see where he goes from here. So again, it's an amazing movie. I liked it, but I will say, out of all of his movies, it's my least favorite. Well, and and not. But that's co- not a that's not a slam on this movie. No, that no, just no. shows you how good this guy is. What I was going to say, not connecting to Gosling's portrayal of Armstrong, has to be a huge part of that. I imagine. I mean, it's the center of the movie, so yeah. I imagine that's a huge part for you. Where would you rank this in your Chazelle list? Um, strangely enough, yeah, Third. three. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you. Can, I mean, the thing about Whiplash and La La Land, uh, Whiplash more than La La Land, is. Like it just it's had more time to grow on like every you know, he makes movies that every time I watch them, I pick up new things. And so it's it's one of those things where I, they are ranked in their order of coming out here. Whiplash number one. Yeah. La La Land number two. Well, first man number three. And I don't know how that changes over time. Whiplash is its own animal. And the fact that an argument could be made for it being the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> it's so like, good. I'm not even joking when I say that it literally somebody could argue the fact that Whiplash is the greatest movie ever made. And I would be. Going, yeah. You wouldn't laugh him out of the room. I would not laugh him out of the yeah. room. I would listen, and I I would listen to the points. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. I totally get it. This could potentially be the greatest mm-hmm. movie of all time. Yeah. And it's his first movie. 
I think he had uh, he had a was it a student film the on, on a park bench or whatever. This, this it's his first people, feature film. Yeah, and man, it's here's here's the other mind blowing thing. I'm pretty sure all three of his movies will be in my top 100 of all time. Uh, uh, just Whiplash for me. I wouldn't put La La Land or this. I already have. The, I have already had the other two in there. Yeah, and I just I, it's amazing. Whiplash so. is in my top ten. I think it's number nine. It's my ninth greatest movie of all time. Yeah. So, so and, that's why somebody could make an argument. I'm like, okay, yeah, it just, it's, I got it at number nine. Come <laughs> that's on, right. yeah, fair enough, man. Yeah, way to go, Damien Chazelle. Guy's um, good. He's definitely talented. I, I, I'm excited to see what he does next. I get my, you know, you know how I interact with directors, studios that I love. I'm a fanboy, right? So I, and I, I love that. I don't ever want to take that away from not only myself, but anybody. I love people loving things. And I love Damien Chazelle. I love Pixar. You know, I love Hitchcock, you know, that kind of stuff. But I think what's interesting is it can change, you know, like it certainly colors the way I see things. I'm not, I, you know, subjectivity is a part of what we do. And I have always said, you have to understand, when I review a Pixar movie, I'm seeing it through my own Pixar love, right? Yeah. Um, I had the same thing with M. Night. I loved M. Night in that same way. Uh, you know, I defended movies <laughs> that other people... And then The Last Airbender and then, came <laughs> Yeah. And then Last Airbender, I'm like, oh, this movie is just not only bad, it's like the worst, you know? Did that affect your viewing of previous movies that had come out? No. Okay. It didn't, and that's an interesting, maybe a little bit. I I maybe... I didn't know if, like, you looked at, like, a... The lady, lady in water, or whatever it's called. I love and lady then, in the water, and then uh, the village, and like I oh. love the village. Oh, okay. <laughs> I still love both of those movies. Um, I never really got into defending the happening, but I can see some interesting things in there. Is that um, the Marky Mark one? Yeah, that movie's horrible. <laughs> the movie's so bad. It is. It's it so really bad. Is. It really is. But that's what I'm saying. That's how much I loved him at that time. Is that I was able to see some thematic things in there that I thought were interesting, and those got brought to the surface. So that's what I'm talking about. In that, you know, we all have our kind of subjective plays, and Chazelle is in that category for me now. So it'll be interesting. For me to to see a movie and go, oh, I think Chazelle messed that one up because that becomes a you know a tough thing. Yeah, um, objectivity I, is hard. I'm not saying that Chazelle messed this one up. It's a oh, really no, totally, good movie. Totally. I'm just saying whenever you come out with a movie like La La Land or Whiplash, you put yourself on a pedestal that is insanely high. <laughs> so you're obviously going to make a movie that's not going to reach that level. But at the same time, if that was his first feature movie. You'd be blown out of the water, but uh-huh. it's his third, <laughs> and that's still really good. Yeah. And the fact that all of his movies are so versatile. Going back to what you said, though, I got a question for you. Sure, you sure. said that, you know, you could look at the happening, and just because you love M. Night so much that, you know, you just want to love this movie. Yeah. Don't you think that, dangerous is a bad word, but don't you think that it's kind of, it could not damage your reputation, but damage, you know, your objectivity i guess whenever you're reviewing a movie you're like just because i love this guy i'm going to say i just want to find ah, things but it's in not this. but it's not that it's not that it's just because i love him i'm going to defend him it's because i love him i see those things and there's that's a that's a subconscious thing that i don't know how to control and i think that the more honest position is to admit those things right yeah um and i, I objectivity is not objectivity is is impossible 
when it comes to you know reviewing film those kind of things it is it is literally impossible but that doesn't mean it's not something you can try to do and i try to be um i try to be at least aware enough of my uh predilections that i i can identify that but what i'm admitting is i'm human and it's it's tough for me so and i just think that's a more honest way to approach it the way i thought you phrased it was since i like Shyamalan, i'm gonna put forth more of an effort to list no, my pros in fact, i don't like that that's I, what i thought you were saying okay no no so, it was just that those things are more prevalent they, to they you? raise to the surface naturally when you have a you know a love or a fanboyism and in fact I, now that is a lot more. That makes a lot more sense. And well, I think I can of, actually get behind that. I think part of the the issue with divisive culture is the idea that you have to stand behind the things that you love to a point where you're not even really thinking about them anymore. Um, you know, and something that's not what you love, you have to hate. You know, like that kind of stuff bothers me. Um, I'm just talking about the natural subjectivity to our experience with things and when Damien Chazelle puts out another movie I'm going to be pumped and when I watch it my brain's going to already be thinking he's a genius and so it's going to see genius in maybe some places where maybe it's not but I'm trying my best to you know just to view it uh, and to understand it but again at the end of the day my goal is to experience film and experience stories. It's not necessarily to break them apart like science equations, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think all that's that's interesting stuff to talk about. But, uh, but yeah, First Man, loved it. Yeah. You really liked it. I really liked it. Good stuff. Yeah, uh, I, I should have said I really liked it as opposed to just high side of liked it. I really liked it. No, I, that's how I took it. Yeah. Um. All right, let's... Uh, well, you want to move into the director conversation? Please. I'm excited about this one. In honor of Chazelle, who is now three for three for me, uh, and also Ryan Coogler, who is also three for three for me. Yep. Um, and and shout out to Pete Doctor, who has <laughs> Monsters, Inc. up and inside out, also three for three for me. Um, we wanted to take a look at best ever win percentages for our directors this will obviously be very subjective to our own opinion on their work um i would encourage you if you want to really explore this to kind of look at some of your favorite directors and kind of see how, what's their percentage now i gave us the caveat of four four movies because that's more than chazelle and, and coogler have done yeah i in hindsight probably should have said five because there are a couple on my list that have four movies out um I have only five plus on mine. So. Okay, I've, I've I have a list of twenty. Whew. Um, I kept my okay. This is what I was going to say earlier, but yeah, I didn't yeah. want to. Yeah, I, go for it. I kept my list very sparse for the simple fact that if I felt like if I just kept listing director after director, that it would kind of muddle how much I appreciate these top guys. Right. Because whenever I picked, I made sure I picked who I thought was the echelon of almost perfection. Because not to like give away a potential for years, like Spielberg's put out a lot of movies. Yeah. Some of them are phenomenal. Some of the greatest movies of all time. He's put out some bad movies. Yes. And I think that if I would have put him on this list, that would have, you know, really redacted the actual percentage of how good his movies are. The percentage, not just how good his movies are you yeah know? as opposed to these other directors who have continuously put out good stuff so uh that's good to know it'll yeah. be good information as we kind of go through your list i took the perspective of straight percentages 
Um, I looked at as many directors as I could think of, and I compared percentages. If percentages were the same, the director who had done more films rose above. Yeah. If they had done the same number of films at the same percentage, then I judged on quality of the ones I liked. Okay. So that's how I ended up. And I ranked them one through 20. I only ranked directors who have more than a 50% success rate with me. Oh, wow. <laughs> I kept mine at like 80, 85. <laughs> wow. This is going to be interesting. Have, I only have, f- I, I literally only have four directors above 85%. I um, have, and all four of them are 100. percent By the way, yeah, I have five. I have five directors, and they're all above 85. One of them's 100. percent Yeah, I have, I have four that are 100, percent um, and then go down from there. I don't count pre-feature debut, like right. you know, student films and stuff Correct. like that. Yeah, no student film. We should mention that no student films, no short films. Yeah. I wasn't sure or about music videos or music videos yeah. that definitely affects one of mine. <laughs> yeah. Or um, I wasn't sure about documentaries. And the reason I mentioned that will become evident as we get down my list. But okay. we'll, we'll talk about it then. Uh, let's start with the perfects. Okay. Uh, I have four perfects uh, ranked one through four. You said you have one. Yeah. Who's yours? Nolan. Your, Christopher Nolan is perfect for you. Yeah. Okay, he's further down my list. He's a perfect for me. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Well, is that how many movies he's done? Yeah, I okay. think so. I, I thought you were just... I was trying to... Con- well, I have, <laughs> I have it here, and I can pull up uh, the... I have all the IMDb's in front of me, too, if we want to look uh, specifically. There's a lot of people who would say, well, what about Insomnia? I really liked Insomnia. There I you think go. Insomnia is really good. I didn't count in- Insomnia as one of my really likes. Okay, yeah. But even that... Post that, you have what? Memento, the Dark Knight trilogy. Batman Begins, The Prestige, The Dark Knight. Which you are uh, obviously considering to be possibly the greatest movie ever made is The Prestige. The Prestige. Yeah. It's up there for sure. Yeah. Uh, Dark Knight, Inception, Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises, I wouldn't put in my very, in my really like category. I think, okay. I think it's okay. Um, I wasn't a fan of Bane, but the movie overall, I really liked the, uh, the, uh, the story of how Batman, you know, because it's very, I don't know if you know this, in the comics, it's a very famous story of yeah. Bane breaking Batman's back. Yeah. And how Batman has to not only, you know, heal himself physically, but also mentally and how he, you know, he realizes he can't be gung-ho all the time. Let me ask Let me ask you this. Did you include Following, his first movie in 1998? No. Have you seen I, it? No, I haven't seen that That's one. the other thing that kind of comes into play. I included movies I haven't seen in the movies they've made. Is that really considered a wide-release movie, though? Because I, I don't know. I it's, listed, it's, it's listed as a feature film. Okay. So. I thought Insomnia was, like, his first Memento movie. was his first. And oh, then, Memento. And, and then, then Insomnia, yeah. yeah. Um, so he either did nine or 10 movies, depending on if you count following. Okay. Um, and you're hundred percent on him. So, yep. and I, 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 he will be very, he will very quickly show up on my list. I guess I should also say like, um, here's how hard this is. Alfred Hitchcock is not even close to being on this list. No, he made so many movies and so many incredible movies. But when I really looked at it, I'd say 20 out of 56. Um, and again, I could have counted wrong are movies that I really like. And that's 36%. That's how hard this is. Like if, if the more movies you make, the harder it is for you to be on this list. Uh, and that's that, you know, kind of f- should feature into our discussion. Um, and then there's people like, and this goes to what we were just talking about, Peter Weir. 
Peter Weir has made some of my favorite movies I've seen. And of the movies I've seen of his, I, I really like them all. Like, I think four for four or five for five. Okay. But he has about 20 movies I haven't seen. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's made and, 31, it looks like. Right. Yeah. And so, because of that, shout out to Peter Weir. That's my fault. Like, I should see more of his movies if I like them that much. He just has this whole career before I was aware of him that I just haven't caught up on, right? There's a movie called The Car That Ate Paris. <laughs> you doubt that one's good? Well, it has a 5.6. So, I mentioned that to say, in my percentages, if I hadn't seen the movie, yeah, it, it still counted as a movie. Okay. So I tried to do that, too. Yeah. Um, so we'll continue then. Here are my perfects, um, and we'll, we can get back to Nolan. Maybe when I talk about him, I can tell you the ones that didn't that I didn't weren't in my B plus or higher kind of range. Sure. Uh, my number one is Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson is five for five for me. Uh, he hasn't made a movie that I have not really liked in four out of the five of them. I love. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we can have a separate conversation about him as a person or all those other things. Blah blah blah. Sure. Uh, but. Man, when you look at his list, for me, those five movies, um, Braveheart, Hacksaw Ridge, Passion of the Christ. Apocalypto. Apocalypto. Apocalypso is crazy good. Yeah. Here's my thing. And then I, Man Without a Face is also really good. I don't like Man Without a Face. You don't like it I don't all? like it. Okay, I really like it. And I'm it. not really a fan of the Passion of the Christ. That's subjective, though. Of on, you know, Well, subjective in the sense that whenever- It's all subjective. Yeah, I'm trying to rephrase it. It's okay. more of, I wouldn't say a torture fest film, because I know that it's going for more realism. And that's yeah. what Mel Gibson does with violence in his movies. Yeah. You look at uh, Braveheart, There's so, an argument could be made that Apocalypto or Braveheart is far more violent than The Passion. Sure. It's just that since that violence is focused so much on a singular figure in a mm-hmm. movie, it seems to be excessive well you could argue that about hacksaw ridge too i think hacksaw ridge is even more violent than passion hacksaw ridge doesn't get violent until like the second half of that movie but it goes from one to 15 (laughs) so quickly you're just not ready for it right yeah okay but so that's that's my number one mel gibson mel gibson good call uh number and again this is just by person this is just the math This isn't me saying these are the best directors. This is the highest hit percentage math based on my subjective feelings. Okay. Number two is Spike Jones. Four out of four. Um, I love... Oh, I was thinking Spike Lee for a second. No, 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 no. no. Spike Jones? Spike Jones, four out of four. Um, You've got Being John Malkovich. It's good. You've got Adaptation. Yeah. Which is great. Um, And then after that, uh, Her, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and then what was the fourth? Where the wild things are. Yes, where the wild things are. Now, most people most people would disagree on that one, but I, that is a movie I really liked. I'd almost say loved. Um, had you read those. it growing up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure. I don't know who hasn't seen, at least seen that book <laughs> growing up. I think at, least, it's, at least from my generation. I think whenever you're born, the nurse just hands the parents a copy. <laughs> this is for him or her when they grow up. Uh, so I had three directors that were four for four and Spike Jones. Wait, did Spike Jones do three Kings? No. I oh no. He, I don't think he, he wrote it. it. He wrote, he, he was the one on Wait, my list. That, oh, he produced it. My bad. He was the one on my list that I had to sort through like 80 different music, music videos. videos. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Guy so, loves to do music videos. 
So Spike Jones was my favorite four for four director. Okay. Um, Frank Darabont was four for four for me as well. Yeah. Um, and then the, in this one, I may take a lot of flack for because it includes Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2. But I really liked both those movies. Mark Webb. Mark Webb, you know, has got uh, what? Gifted, which I love. And then he's got the two Spider-Man movies. And then his first movie was 500 Days of Summer. Yeah. Like, you know, that's technically a four for four for me. Even though the Amazing Spider-Man movies aren't like love loves for me, I still really like them. They're both at least B pluses for me. So, uh, yeah, that one's on you. <laughs> you know, that one. I'm just, one going, take the I'm just going through. He does a lot of TV stuff, too. So I'm just trying to, you know. Who, Mark Webb? Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to just get through all that stuff. And I'm not seeing much. A lot, right. Also, a lot of music videos. Yeah. How many more perfects you got? That's it. Okay. Just the three four for fours and the one five for five. Okay. My next one, then? Yeah, what do you got next down? Uh, mine is a guy who only has one film that I just didn't get behind, but everything else is, like, potentially my favorite top 100, and that's Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. Uh, I, only I, movie we I disagree don't like. on a couple of his movies, which is the only reason he's not on this list for me yeah. at all. But I'm not a fan of Enemy. That's the only movie of his yeah. that I don't like. Prisoners, top 20 movie of all right. time. Right, and I, I didn't care for that one as yeah. much. You don't like Sicario. And I didn't care for Sicario that I much. I like Sicario. Yeah. Not on the level of his other ones, but Arrival, that's a top 50 movie sure. of all time. Blade sure. Runner, potentially a top 100 movie of all time. Yeah, I would put Blade Runner on my list, too. Uh, Dune is coming out soon of his, and I cannot <laughs> wait. Oh, man. Oh, and Incendies. I don't, did you ever see Incendies? No, I did not. It's a really good movie. I think you'd really like that one. I should check it out. So, uh, so what's your percentage on him, then? Uh, let's see. That's... Uh, five out of six is that what it is let's take a gander here time to count people one two three four five yeah five out of six so is that 80 80 percent i can't do math (laughs) i really math five out of six is 83 percent 83 percent so yeah there we go um my next two are 83 percent and they're both five out of six okay um and the first one is only five out of six because i haven't seen his first movie oh uh otherwise he'd be five out of five and that's edgar wright um, I really like every single movie he's made that I've seen. I can't believe I forgot about him. Um, so I feel feel bad. You've got the the tri- the Cornetto trilogy, yeah, which I love all of them. Yeah, you've got Scott Pilgrim versus the World, mm-hmm. which I love. Baby Driver, and you've got Baby Driver, which I I love as well. So uh, what an incredible run, you know, for Edgar. I just haven't seen. Was it Fistful of Fingers? Grindhouse. Well, no, he just did. He did a parody commercial for grindhouse he didn't direct grindhouse he's still listed as a director uh let's see mint royale blue song is that a music video mm-hmm. i think fistful of fingers was the first movie he did um yeah, oh I just yeah seen back it. in like uh it's a comedy so. western mm-hmm. in 95 yeah. yeah nobody's seen that one it has five <laughs> it has 500 ratings i'm just trying to be detailed here yeah i'm just trying to be detailed that looks like a student film <laughs> I'm looking at pictures of it and I'm like, yeah, that's a student film. Could be, maybe. Yeah. So but, maybe he belongs in my perfect, who knows? But um Yeah. But yeah, he's definitely one. And then my other five out of six guy is Brad Bird. Um You love your Brad Bird. I, I absolutely do. Um I'm trying to think, you know, Iron Giants, Incredibles. Oh, I thought I saw Incredibles oh, 2. Yeah. Did he direct this Ratatouille? He has a couple movies I'm not all that up on. 
Mission Impossible, gross, uh, Ghost Protocol. Gross Protocol. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like Tomorrowland, and I don't like Ratatouille. I like Tomorrowland, but I did not count it as really like. I don't really like Tomorrowland. It's probably like a B, B minus for me. No, that's, um, a, that's a C minus for so, me. So is Ratatouille. Really? I don't like Ratatou- either of those movies. Yeah, Ratatouille is a great movie for me. Yeah. Um. So so he is my other five out of six, 83%. Yep. Uh, is what I got. What's next on your list? Sergio Leone. Okay, tell me about that one. So He's not on my list at all, so I don't know his numbers. Yeah. Um, he has two movies that I don't like. Everything else, I love. Um, he's only, He only did eight movies, okay. so six out of eight. The ones I don't like are The King of Ads and The Colossus of Rhodes. Other than that, he did the entire Man With No Name trilogy, which is Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars More, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which is the greatest movie of all time. Mm-hmm. He then did Duck You Sucker, which is a really good movie. <laughs> okay. And then Once Upon a Time in America. So there you go. I, I'm just, for me, I'm just a little bit lacking um, in kind of understanding. His, like, I haven't seen a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Um, so I probably should just see more. Um, that tends to be the case with with a lot of stuff. Yep. Which may actually play into our um, our Sift Quest this uh, mm, this week. Interesting. We'll talk a little bit about that. Little teaser, ladies and gentlemen. All right, I'm going to go ahead and take here to talk about the documentary thing. Okay. Um, because if you count documentaries, this director is, in my opinion, um, seven out of ten. And if you don't count them, he's seven out of eight. Okay. Uh, and that is James Cameron. Um, he has two documentaries that he did after Titanic about going to the bottom of the ocean and those kind of things. Watch me sink, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Either way, he's either 70% with those documentaries or 88% without, which would shoot him up into my top five. Um, Cameron's just nailed it every time for me. Uh, Avatar, uh, Titanic, True Lies, Terminator 2, Abyss, Aliens, Terminator. Um, And then you've got Piranha Piranha 2, 2, The Spawning. Which... It's a cult classic for the fact of how bad it is. Right. He he knew the movie he was trying to make. He wanted to make that bad movie. Yeah. So I but can kind of give one. him credit. Yeah. That's the one that I can't put in that category. Every other one I really like. I think people so. just look at who James Cameron is now and they forget all the movies he gave us. Like, if you just take... What's the, the arrogance, right? It's the arrogance factor? Yeah. And you look at 90s Cameron, he killed... I mean, Terminator 2, True Lies, The Abyss... He, those are some of the best movies ever. Well, and you're not—you haven't mentioned Titanic or Avatar, which you know at the time they came out, both made a ton more money than any movie had ever made before. Oh yeah, like it's insane. Every single one of his movies breaks the previous record that he <laughs> himself yeah. set. Yeah, it's insane. It'll be interesting to see what Avatar Two is now scheduled for. What 2020? I think is when Avatar Two is. Supposed it's to never come. coming out. It's never coming. I don't. Out. I mean, that will be uh, eleven full years. You know, since Avatar, it'll just be interesting to see because, um, I mean, Avatar was 10 years after Titanic. Yeah. So that's kind of been his his modus operandi. But um, but anyways, so he's way up on my list, whether you count documentaries or not. Yep. Um, and then I've got a four out of five, which is 80 percent. Um, OK, go ahead. Well, I'm counting my. Sure. Yeah. Who do you got? J.J. Abrams is four out of five for me. Hmm. Um, here's the thing with J.J. Abrams. It kind of blew my mind that he's only directed five movies. <laughs> I was like, he seems like he does everything yeah. because he's done so many TV shows and so many films. But no, he's only actually directed five movies. 
Um, and Mission Impossible 3 I love. Star Trek I love. Uh, Super 8 I love. Star Trek Into Darkness I do not. It is the one that I that I couldn't put on my really like list. And then Star Wars The Force Awakens. Uh, so yeah, that's 4 out of 5 for me at 80% for him. Sorry. No, you're good. Uh, sure. What are you looking at? All right, I'm ready. My for next your next guy. one? Yeah. Okay, yeah, bring it on. PTA. Yeah, I've got PTA on my list. Yeah. Uh, the only one of his I don't like is... Where where was it? Uh, Inherent Vice. Yeah, I don't like Inherent Vice either. I have him at 5 out of 8 uh, for 63%. I like Punch Drunk Love. I mm-hmm. can see a lot of yep. people not liking that one. Yep. Love Magnolia. Magnolia is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there Will Be Blood, one of the greatest movies ever made. Yep. Um, I even like The Master. A lot of people don't like The yeah, Master. Yeah, I don't like The Master. I like The Master. Yeah, I, he, he went back to back with movies I was just like could not connect to with The Master and Inherent Vice. And then yeah. he brought me back with Phantom, Phantom Thread. Thread. Yeah. Well, Daniel Day-Lewis can have that effect on people. <laughs> uh, and I'm trying to remember. Part 8 is the other one that I didn't have in my really okay. light category but then boogie nights of course i mean it's not a family-friendly movie well none no. of his movies are really now that i think about it but especially boogie nights uh but yeah i mean he for if you would have asked me five years ago who i thought the greatest director living is i would have said pta i still might put him in that conversation even the movies i i don't like you you appreciate I, I, what he's well, going for except for inherent vice i think that's a mess of a film i'm right there with you that's I, his one bomb I, I don't i cannot get that film i and anybody i've heard who likes it i don't understand that like i don't understand what they're saying about it that they like it's yeah so anyways that's the only one every other one even the master i'm like no i i get what he's doing here and i can see the artistry mm-hmm. even though i'm not connecting to it um so yeah and then hard eight was just you know it's just not a really good film for okay, me. Okay, yeah. So that's my five out of eight for him. Okay, who you got next? Which, by the way, would put him at 14 on my list. <clears throat> um, I am down to Ben Affleck. Three out of four, 75%. Um, so the only one I didn't like was his latest one. I didn't, shouldn't say I didn't like, but didn't really like. Is it the uh, mob movie? Yeah, li- it's Live Something... Uh, live by night, live by night, live by night, live free, die hard, <laughs> something like that. By but night, Argo, the town, and Gone Baby Gone are phenomenal stuff. Yeah. So he comes in at number. I would eight put for me the town is his best movie. I know a lot of people would say Gone Baby Gone, but for me, it's the town. I'm a heist guy. Yeah, not literally. I go. I, I wouldn't blame you for banks. that. <laughs> but uh, uh, also at three out of four, seventy five percent is another one I may take a little flack for. Uh, the one I don't like, and I will say don't like uh, from him is Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. <laughs> it is uh, J. A. Uh, Bayona uh, who did a Monster Calls, which I love, The Impossible, which I really like, and The Orphanage, which I really like. So that's three out of four for him. Wait a minute, am I thinking of the same Impossible movie? The tsunami. What? Yeah, the tsunami. Wow, movie. I didn't know he did that one. Yeah, that's a. That's a heart-wrenching movie yeah. right there. Yeah, it's powerful. Uh, Monster Calls was good. Mm-hmm. You loved it way I, more yeah, than I, I did. Yeah, I love Monster Calls. Way more yeah. than I did. Uh, okay, so my next one. Sure, go for it. I'm going to go Stanley Kubrick. Tell me about Kubrick. He didn't make my 50% mark uh, when I looked at his stuff. So uh, Just going the, down the ones. Now, some of these, I just... He's he's a very acquired taste. I'll just say that right now. Uh, I'm just going to show from the top to the bottom. Sure. So, Eyes Wide Shut, I liked it. Uh, Full Metal Jacket, 
beyond amazing. Shining. Uh, if you love the book, it's very, very different. Mm-hmm. He made it his own. It's pretty good. Barry Lyndon, haven't seen it. So yeah. it's actually one. Clockwork Orange, it's very... It's one of the two movies that made me physically ill while I watched oh, it. Oh, wow. Yeah. But it's... I understand what he's going for. But are you counting it? As yeah. really liked? Uh, really liked? No, I would just say liked on that one. Okay, so that one that uh, won't yeah. count on your list. 2001 Space Odyssey. <clears throat> Love that movie. Okay. So good. Dr. Strangelove. Have you seen that one? Um, yes. <laughs> it's so fun. It is. It is it's really fun. Spartacus. It may be my favorite, actually, of his movies. I get it. See, that's the thing with... Um, Kubrick, you could say any of his movies is your favorite, and you'd be like, yeah, I get it. And it wouldn't surprise. No, it wouldn't surprise you at all, because he's so (laughs) iconic. Uh, Spartacus, you gotta love that one. And then there's ones I haven't seen, like Shorts, and Mm -hmm. I haven't seen Fear and Desire, which apparently a lot lot of other people haven't either, so looking at the numbers on it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Who do you got? Um, Well, I'll just say this about Kubrick before we move on. Mm -hmm. Um, He's just a well-loved director that has very rarely connected with me. Uh, Like I said, he's a pretty acquired taste. His early stuff, Spartacus, Strange Love, Mm -hmm. I really like. Um, His later stuff, I just... 2001, I get that there are iconic scenes in it, but overall, it's just not an enjoyable experience for me. Eyes Wide Shut, I get it. It's just not an enjoyable experience for me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just, I don't connect to his movies for whatever reason. And so that's, that's why he's not showing up on my list. Um, I am down now to Christopher Nolan, which we, who we've already talked about. Seven out of 10 for me or seven out of nine, which would put him higher if we don't count following. Sure. Um, the two other than that, that I can't just can't put in the really light category are Dark Knight Rises um, and Insomnia. I just can't quite put him in that really light category, so that's why he dropped here for me. But that's I, fair. I will say, of the those two are the ones that are on the bottom of my right. Nolan list of the directors that we're talking about. This is the one where I'm like, yeah, but those seven that I do like are <laughs> like amazing. So okay. it is. It is definitely one of those things where this is the example of how this is not my favorite director's list. Because Christopher Nolan would be much higher. Yeah. Uh, this is just by percentage, and so that puts him at number 11. Um, and then I go into a couple who have a lot of movies. Uh, there's actually only three directors on my list uh, that have more than 10 movies that they've done. It's because that percentage makes it, it so I know. difficult. And you could make an argument that that means that these three are actually the best. Yeah. That they've been able to maintain higher than 50% for, you know, this many movies. Um, but the highest of those is the Coen Brothers. 12 out of 18 for me. Uh, 12, <sighs> those guys are good. 12 out of 18 is 67%. 18 films, and I've really liked at least 67% of them. That's pretty incredible. But the ones that are like, uh, those, like, the top ones of theirs are like... Potentially best movies ever. Yeah. Like, uh, for me, I think the best Coen Brothers movie has got to be No Country for Old Men. That's their best movie. I think uh, it definitely could be. Um, I, I have a soft place in my heart for Old Brother, Where Art Thou? No, that's so, up there, too. A lot of people would say Raising Arizona. And Hudsucker Proxy, actually. But Never saw a, that that's one. That's a very personal thing for me. I'm um, going to have to watch that one. <clears throat> so here's the list. Hail Caesar, okay. Inside Lewin Davis, True Grit, A Serious Man. Shout out to A Serious Man if you haven't seen it. Wasn't a fan. Oh, well. Your shout out is falling on deaf ears on the sh- this the side of the has, table. The shout out has been shout outed. Uh, <laughs> shout out, shout out. Burn after reading. No country for old men. 
uh, Lady Killers, Intolerable. There's that combination. Intolerable. Thank you. Uh, cruelty. The Man Who Wasn't There. Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? The Big Lebowski. Fargo. Hudsucker Proxy. Barton Fink. Miller's Crossing. Raising Arizona. Blood Simple. And uh, that's it right there. So pretty incredible stuff. You said two that I really wasn't a fan of. I didn't like. Well, there are six in there that I that yeah. I don't put in the really light category. Uh, where was it? The one? Oh, lady. I didn't like Lady Killers. Lady Killers was yeah. not in my. Um, um other than that, by the way, Burn After Reading. Not a lot of people saw that movie. It's hilarious. It is so funny. Brad Pitt. Brad is Pitt's great in that. So funny. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta Good love stuff. those Coen Brothers. All right. So there you go. You got you got any more to throw in, or have you gone through your list of five? Nope. Went through mine. All right. So all on you. Spielberg's next for me. 21 out of 33. See, so, yeah, that would have been too low for me. 64%. 21 out of 33. That is extremely impressive and was higher than I thought it was going to be because I thought there were a lot of Spielberg movies I didn't like, but I was surprised by how many of his movies are just really, really good. I don't know why I was surprised, but it's just when you look at somebody's entire filmography, sometimes that just happens. So yeah, um, I'm not going to bother going through and identifying each one. He has a few movies he's directed. 33 is the number I came up with. Yeah. Um, so that could be could be wrong. I don't know. Then I had PTA, who we've already talked about. Okay. Then I had John Favreau. Five out of eight. 63%. I didn't think that he directed that many movies. Yeah, Favre, here's what Favreau's done. You ready for this? Yeah. Uh, we'll go from now back. Okay. Jungle Book, Chef. Love Chef. Cowboys and Aliens. Yeah. Iron Man 2. That's mm. my dad's favorite movie, by the way. Cowboys and Aliens? Yeah. Are you kidding me? My dad, every single time you see a movie, like, why would anybody ever watch that? That's my dad's favorite movie. He loves those movies. Uh, Iron Man. Yeah. Zathura. Which I have a real soft place in my heart for. I really like that movie. Well, I only like it because I love Jumanji so much. Mm. So that's why. Uh, and then Elf. I had no idea he did Elf. That's blowing my mind right yeah? now. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. I thought he directed Swingers. I guess he was no, just he in directed Made. Um, but I I don't know if that's technically a feature length film in theaters. But yeah. no, he did not direct Swingers. Okay. Um, so for me, there's only three of those that I can't put in that really like category. So, and I like Iron Man two more than a lot of people do. Yeah. So, well, there you go. So Favreau, and I don't like Jungle Book. Uh, and then I had Fincher, six out of ten, sixty percent. Uh, lots of good movies on his list. Um, Andrew Stanton uh, is also at sixty percent. Stanton, why am I having a brain fart on him? Uh, Finding Nemo. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, what did he do? I think he did. Wally, or did he direct Wally or yes. write it? Okay. Yeah. So, and then you've I've got Darren Aronofsky at four out of seven. He's falling off the deep end for me. Is he? He is. Because you didn't like Mother as much as I did, did you? I really liked Mother, but I liked it for a very specific reason. If I look at it as a movie as a whole, I probably didn't like it. But the fact that I was able to look at Jennifer Lawrence's performance and say that's exactly what a panic attack feels like, and I was able to really just say, if you're curious what goes on in my head whenever I'm freaking out, watch Mother, that's it. So that's the only reason I can look at that movie and go, yeah, that's perfect. And I think that's 
potentially one of the best performances ever given by an actress is her in that movie. The actual movie in itself is so insanely metaphorical Mm -hmm. that it's just almost unwatchable. And I get why people hate that movie. Oh, sure. Totally. And there are a lot of people who hate that movie. But (laughs) Noah is so bad. Noah's not great. Definitely not in that uh, one that I would count. But but Black Swan, Black Swan and The Wrestler... And I have a soft place in my heart for The Fountain as well. So I like The Fountain, but I think Black Swan is probably his best movie. Because uh, now I'm thinking of... Uh, the Wrestler is the one most people would say is his best movie, but no. I actually might go with Mother, but I like that movie a freakishly amount. Uh, a freakish amount. Um, and then I had Tim Burton, exactly at 50%, 9 out of 18, and... <laughs> Bringing up the rear, Joss Whedon, two out of four. <laughs> I don't think you can count Joss Whedon. A 50%. I know. I'm just going by the numbers, man. Ron he has Howard, four movies. Ron Howard has more than 50%, I guarantee you. No, he doesn't. You. No, he doesn't. I looked at it. I'm looking it up right now. Ron Howard. That you can classify in the really like. Okay, so let's go through director. He's going to have a lot of documentaries and music videos. Solo, bad. Inferno, bad, okay. Mm-hmm. And Heart of the Sea, bad. Dang it. Uh, <laughs> Made in America, did I see that one? Or is that a... No, I didn't see that one. Oh, it's a music video, that's why. Uh, Rush, awesome. Rush is great. Dilemma, bad. Man. <laughs> uh, see? Angels and Demons, bad. <sighs> in the Heart of the Sea, bad. Yeah, I, I thought I said that one. Oh, did you already? Yeah. So, yeah, okay, yeah, Frost Nixon, Da Vinci Code. Frost Nixon's good. Yeah, Da Vinci, da Vinci Code's, Code's not. I think Da Vinci Code's, nah. it's okay. Cinderella Man, amazing. Yes, it's good. Missing, it's okay. Beautiful Mind, whoo yeah. so good. Right. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, it's pretty good. Yeah. Ransom, awesome. I forgot Ed TV. Oh, Ed TV. <laughs> I didn't see that one. So, Apollo 13, amazing. amazing. Paper, haven't seen it. Far and Away, haven't seen it. Backdraft, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Parenthood. Parenthood's good. Good. Willow. Gotta love Willow. <laughs> Shout out to my childhood right there. I'm just there. telling you it's not 50%. Yeah. Now that I'm looking at it. and I'm, That's what I'm saying about this. It's just, you know, if you go by the numbers, it's an interesting little... Cocoon. <laughs> Cocoon. 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 Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Ah, man, you're right. I'm mad. <laughs> Well, there you go. Uh, nice little interesting journey. This is what I'm saying. If you do this, this, you know, and you just go by percentages, you're going to find some interesting things. I would have never have guessed that Joss Whedon being two out of four would have cracked this list. But there are just very few directors that can hit 50% or more for me. And the ones that do, you know, deserve that respect. And it's just going to, that's the way it's going to be. So I would be curious to hear... If any we've mentioned that would be higher on your list or any we didn't mention Ooh. that, that keep, t- you would keep th- talking, I'm looking up one right. Okay, no, you're good. Uh, we would love to hear that as well. So, you know, hit us up with an email feedback at sifpop.com if you want to do that. Also, if you um, have anything you want to say to the show, that's the place to hit us up sifpop or feedback at sifpop.com. Uh, or tweet at me at Aaron Dicer. Uh, do you have one more before we head on to the next thing? Uh, possibly. Mm, uh, well, now that I'm looking at it, he may barely be at fifty percent. Yeah. Who is it? Michael Mann. Oh, you know what? I did not look at Michael Mann. I was. I'm not a huge fan of his, so I just assumed for me he would be under fifty percent. Uh, Black Hat was 
very mediocre, uh, so it won't yeah. be in there. Uh, Public Enemies, I was disappointed in yeah. that one. Miami Vice, nope. Collateral, top 10 movie. Okay. Ali, really good. The Insider, very good. Insider's great. Heat, best heist movie ever. Last of the Mohicans, whew, good movie. Uh, Manhunter, which I'm not really remembering. If Manhunter it, is a TV show. Is it? Yeah. Is it the... Uh, no, that's Mindhunter. Sorry, that's Fincher's TV show, yeah. Mindhunter. No, Manhunter was the very first Hannibal Lecter movie. Back oh, whenever, right, yeah, 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 yeah. The one that had... Um, I don't think I've seen it. Brian Cox as uh, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, The Keep, don't remember that one. I think before that, it's a lot of, uh, you know, before I was Michael Mann movies. Well, uh, kudos to Chazelle and Coogler and maybe even Pete Doctor on their three for three. We hope you can work your way into this list with your next movie. Yep. Uh, be exciting to see. Uh, before we head on uh, to our Sift Quest, uh, just a reminder that you can support this podcast through Patreon. Now, this is switching here pretty soon, the Patreon that you will support. What's happening is the podcast net- network will still have a Patreon, but it's just going to be one level, and it just gets you all the podcasts in the network, and it's you know a separate feed. So that's what that's going to be. And then each podcast is also going to have a Patreon, so... You will be supporting Sif Pop Patreon, which will be the Your Movie Friend Patreon uh, for my uh, YouTube as well. So all that will become Sift Pop uh, here in the next few months. So just a heads up on that. But you can check those out at either patreon.com slash studio DNA for the podcast network or patreon.com slash your movie friend uh, to support. So uh, and eventually, again, that will get you all the early videos for the YouTube channel, as well as your own dedicated feed with the bonus episodes for Sift Pop. So patreon.com slash studio DNA or patreon.com slash your movie friend. All right, on to the Sift Quest. Uh, this week, the Sift Quest is, by the way, this this episode going a little bit long, which is fine. That's nice every once in a while. We had a pretty get... good discussion about them. Their directors did Also we? about First Man. We talked about First Man for a while. Yeah. Um, Brendan on Twitter says, do you think movies after the year 2000 will age better than older movies pre 2000? I feel like we've hit a point of diminishing returns. The picture audio and visual effects are much better and less dated over time. Growing up in the nineties, I would never watch a movie from the sixties or seventies, but watching a movie from 20 years ago today feels different. Almost like since 2000 ish, we has been one long decade. Uh, what do you think about that, Andrew? What are some thoughts on Brendan's question? I'm going to break it into little categories and yeah. take them on each. I think that the fact post-2000, there was an extreme rise in the amount of movies being made, okay. as opposed to pre-2000. You look at, like, even in the 80s, there was, like, four movies. That's an exaggeration, but, you know, there's, like... <laughs> but you look at, like... They released one movie one every movie, three months. But, like... Home Alone is an example that came out in the early 90s, right? That was in the theaters for over a year. Right. There's that would be unheard of. Infinity War was in the movie or in theaters for what, 4 months? Mhm. Yeah. That's over a year. You could go see Home Alone one Christmas and then you can go the next Christmas to the theaters and see it again. Right. Cuz it was still there. Yeah. So I think the fact that you're getting more movies in the theaters could also lend to the fact that you would possibly say, yeah, there's better movies post-2000. Could be. It's the whole throw spaghetti against the wall, see what sticks. Um, I will disagree on the fact that I possibly just had a different up- upbringing than him. I all 
growing up, I pretty much only watched movies from the 70s and 80s, and even earlier than that. Mm-hmm. My grandparents raised me on movies that are like Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy, Three sure. Stooges, all those. Yeah, and I watched boys. all Hitchcock stuff and so, other yeah. things. Yeah. So, I mean, Singing in the Rain, my favorite movie of all time, is you know from the 50s. Yep. So, yeah. So, again, I just can't relate on that end. I've always said this, and I will... Uh, on another part, he said the diminishing return on graphics and visual effects and stuff like that. I'll never hold a movie accountable for having dated graphics because they do what they can at the time. Sure. And I can actually appreciate. I'm like, man, how did they do that for the time? Like, I look at Who Framed Roger Rabbit whenever that movie came out, and I'm like, for that to happen when it did is insane. Yeah. I look at Star Wars, A New Hope, A New Hope, whenever it came out, the graphics are insane. And I'm talking about, you know, the original graphics, not the, you know, redone Lucas Mayhem thing mm-hmm. that he did. Yeah. So I I actually get more excited. I look at Jurassic Park. That movie came out in 93, and the graphics in that movie are better than some of the graphics that you see in movies <laughs> today. That's astounding. Maybe it's for the fact that I've always been a fan of... Uh, like animatronics and sure. stuff like that, as opposed to CGI. Because yeah. I think that that will age better. Well, and there's also there's also a correlation between technology and how you use technology. Yeah. You know, are you trying to use are you trying to use technology before it's ready? You mm-hmm. know, I think you can look at something like the Polar Express and go, we're just we're, we weren't ready for that. Like you just the technology wasn't there to do a completely CG you know, human story like that. Yeah. So what was the other one that tried? Oh, Beowulf tried to do that. Yeah. And, and so I think sometimes there's using technology before it's ready. You know, Spielberg's genius in uh, Jurassic Park was that he used the technology for where it was and then filled other things with more appropriate technology, Yeah, you know, animatronics, like you mentioned, different things. So to be aware of how technology can benefit you, but don't to be reliant on it to the fact that you're using technology that isn't quite ready. Yeah, I think there will always be movies that look dated. Always. I I do not. That's the one part of the assumption that I kind of disagree with is you know, that, that post-2000, everything's just going to be the same quality. I look back at movies in the... Lord of the Rings looks dated. Yes, agreed. Which I, is almost 20 years old. Can you believe that? <laughs> that that just hit me. That movie came out in the early 2000s. Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings is almost 20 years old. Um, I, I think things will... There will always be the ability for technology to change, to get better, and things will always look dated. Um, I also am very aware that we judge things by our lifetime, just naturally. You know, uh, Brennan talks about, you know, growing up in the 90s and, you know, not really thinking much about movies in the 60s or 70s. I can relate to that, even though I agree with you that some of my favorite films are before I was born. Overall, my film knowledge more corresponds with my time on this planet, more specifically my time, you know, from you know, teenage up probably on this planet. Uh, There are just movies that are in my lifetime that are going to mean a lot more to me. That's the case for somebody being born today. They're going to look back at, you know, movies of the early 2000s and go, you know, that doesn't mean a lot to me. Yeah. It was 20 years before I was born. So that's just natural. That's just a very natural thing. So I think what you're experiencing is not that technology has gotten to a point where everything's going to look the same. I think you're more dealing with your lifetime defining... Are you talking to me or Brandon? I'm talking to Brandon. Okay. 
uh, in the question. Because you're looking at me and you're saying Well, you're the one in the room. That's true. Yeah. So I I just wanted to make sure I'm like, uh, but go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I'm talking to Brandon or anybody else who feels like this. I think you're likely more dealing with your lifetime affecting your view than you are necessarily dealing with technology reaching a place. Because technology is always going to get better. I truly believe that we will figure out um, auto-stereoscopic 3D. And when we do, it completely changes the way movies look. Because you don't have to wear glasses. It doesn't dim the screen like 3D does now because you put on the glasses. And all of a sudden, you just go see things that look like they're in three dimensions. Not only that, higher resolutions are going to change our ability to experience 3D in film. Um, virtual reality has a lot un- you know, untold about it. Um Integrated reality, uh, augmented AR. reality, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, 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 all of these technologies are in their infancy now. You would be silly to use augmented reality in your movie right now. Why? It's not ready. But maybe someday there's a way for you to impact the movie you're watching through your own augmented reality device. I'm just saying storytelling will always advance because technology will always advance. Um, and so I, I, I think I don't think there will ever be a time of... Where it's like, oh, now it's all just going to be the same. Um, I just don't think that's that's very like. Frame rate is another thing. You know, over time, maybe people start to enjoy higher frame rates. I don't know. That was very. I think it was even Lord of the Rings or the new Hobbit. The movies. Hobbit ones, yeah. Yeah, whenever they were doing, was it thirty or sixty? They did forty-five. Forty-five. Okay, yeah. Cameron continues to say he's releasing Avatar two at sixty. I don't know how that's going to play. I don't know either. Because but that's I'll, what I'm saying. A lot of video games, people get mad if they're not 60 FPS. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that translates to a movie because you're not in control, though. Right. So it might look too... Well, it's called the soap opera effect. It just yeah. it looks too real for people. And they can't get it. And it's hard to get. But and, and I had that experience with the Hobbit movie for the first 20, 25 minutes of the movie. And then I kind of relaxed into it, and it was great gorgeous like it was some of the most gorgeous stuff i've ever seen on screen movies aren't good but yeah yeah (laughs) fair enough but you know what i'm saying (laughs) technology continues to change who knows you know if we're doing 60 or 120 even frames per second and all of a sudden it's this 8k 120 frames per second but hyper realistic 3d where it looks like you're looking through a window i'm curious what the highest fps a human eye can detect is i don't know I'm, i'm curious to look that up Somebody, actually, you know, I don't want to look it up. Somebody send me the link on Twitter or something. Let me know. Well, what I've heard is that 8K is probably the highest resolution that we can detect. Detect. I've heard that. And, but FPS, I have no but, idea. And I have no idea about FPS. Um, yeah. So it, all that to say, it will be interesting. And that is the only, the only technological thing that can, I think, hit diminishing returns is what we're able to see. Yeah. But then you've got here. Our ears are different. Then you've got smell. Then you've got experience. What was it? Then was you, it the Shark Boy and Lava Girl, or was it the uh, Spy Kids movies that did the forty movies? Smellivision. Smellivision. Yeah. I don't know. It was one of those movies. But I'm telling you, don't count it out. Technology changes in a way that gives us more tools to tell stories, and I just I don't think it'll ever stop growing. No. Yeah. Once we hit 8K. We got to do 3D 8K, and that's going to be its own monster. Well, and who knows if we figure out how the brain works so well that we can actually tap into the brain and tell stories direct to brain. Like, you know, there's just... Like Matrix style? Yeah, sure. Upload? Yeah. Choose your own adventure movies? Yeah. (laughs) 
I mean, I would think that would be psychologically terrifying. Like, I don't know how the human brain handles that to be experiencing what another brain is experiencing. But certainly scientifically, you can see how it would, you know, might go that direction uh, at some point. So I, I find it all fascinating. I get sad sometimes that I won't be around to see it all. I just want to see how technology progresses and 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 that kind of uh, stuff. Get but, your brain frozen. You know, the new report comes out that the, you know, the climate is going to be unlivable by 2040. So, yeah. <laughs> 2040, what will I be? I'll be in my 50s somewhere around there. Yeah. I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll have lived a long life. Yeah. So, sorry be, sorry for our kids. Yep. Um, so That's you, such a downer. We can't just end it right there. I tried to end it on optimism, <laughs> and then it just went somewhere dark. I apologize. Oh, man. I, I am excited about what technology can bring us yes. uh, in films, and I love new technology. And I will always say, I've said it with 3D. I will continue to say it with new technologies. It is not... The technology that fails. It's our imagination and ability to use it that fails. Uh, it's all just tools in a toolbox. And if you can learn how to use them, you can do pretty amazing things with them. Yes. Uh, ready to go to our buried treasure? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to go with American Animals. Oh, I never actually saw that one. This is a movie pass movie. Huh. Um, so we were talking about that earlier. Uh, yeah, American Animals tells the true story of... These guys that decided to rob a library of um, some famous texts and kind of what happened in that process. It's interesting in that it is a documentary that is filmed part reenactment and part interview with the actual people. And the way the movie uh, interplays those two things Mm -hmm. is very unique. And interesting. Is it fluid enough you can follow? I think so. I think it's definitely fluid enough to follow. However, I will say I bet it's off-putting to a lot of people because it's not the way you're used to experiencing a documentary. Is it a documentary or is it, uh, you know, a a recreation, um, you know, based on true story movie? Which is it? Uh, And this movie just chooses to say that's not, you know, we don't care about the answer to that question. We're just telling you a story and this is the way we've chosen, you know, to tell it. Uh, it's a fascinating story. I found it interesting um, and is definitely one I would recommend. So awesome. that's that's my buried treasure. What do you got? Uh, my buried treasure is going to come with a very strict parental warning, not safe for children. Season two of Big Mouth is yeah. out. Yeah, what'd you think? Oh, so funny. I love that show so much. Did you see season one? I, yeah, I, oh. I'm not through season two, but... I'm, I loved season two. This season two... I could see being a lot more off-putting than season one because it gets a lot deeper into, you know, the whole puberty, you know, what it's like growing then up. Then season one? Yeah. Oh, you haven't got there yet, apparently, then. Well, season, season one is... I mean, I can't I can't imagine... I mean, they, they both seasons, to me, seem the same level of... Once it gets further towards the end of the season, it's like, wow, okay, you went there? I didn't know that was legal to go there. <laughs> but at the same time, it's so funny. I mean... Nick Kroll and John Mulaney, I would say, are the modern-time Abbott and Costello. They are the f- perfect comedy duo. So funny it's when those guys, two guys get together. I love them. It, I would try to think of like a, a writing duo, because it's not like they're making movies together or anything, they like acting-wise. Well, they, but, they had uh, Oh Hello on Broadway. Oh, that's true. That's true. Fair enough. And then they had this, and then they also did the one thing where they... Uh, was it, it wasn't the Critics' Choice Awards where no, they were the host. No, it was a different awards. So I remember... Yeah, they... Yeah. They did some cool stuff. They've done on a that. couple things together. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Uh, so, yeah. Again, comes with a very strong well, warning. Thing. I guess I would say it like this. This is a, a TV show that decided uh, right from the get-go that you cannot really talk about the issues that come with puberty, specifically uh, human sexuality and yeah. growing through human sexuality and figuring that out uh, without being without taking off the you know the the blinders that yeah. it has to be complete in you know lack of boundaries because that is the rawness that we experience as humans growing up and figuring sexuality out all those kind of things i shouldn't even say just adolescence you know there are a few bits and pieces of adult sexuality in the show as well yeah uh that it deals with and in order to do that they do an animated show they do a comedy and that gives them more license to be more explicit, more, um, you know, I, graphic, I, graphic. That's the yeah, I think that's the right word. Yeah. But they do it in a purposeful way to actually have conversations that nobody is having. You yeah. know, the, the, to say, look, our pop culture hasn't allowed us to have this graphic conversation in this way. So we're going to do it. And. Man, there's something very relatable about that because we've all been through it. It's insanely, even though the show is incredibly metaphorical with hormone monsters and stuff like that. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And that's the other way they they couch it. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, it is one of the most real shows out there. Like, you're like, that's exactly what it was like. Obviously, I didn't see a hormone monster going around, but (laughs) like how these characters are feeling, you know, like I relate to that. I relate to that. Yeah. And then you also got, get a potential perspective of what it was like for the opposite sex growing up. Like, yeah. Oh, so that's what it was like for women growing up, you know, getting uh, their that, first periods and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, that perspective is so valuable. Yeah. Um, for the genders to understand each other. And yeah, I, I, I there's some interesting st- stuff going on here. I would echo your thoughts on just understand they took all the boundaries away. Yeah. All of no them. holds barred. All this, the boundaries. I mean, yeah. I can think of a couple boundaries that are still in play, but for the most part. Well, you haven't seen nine... the rest of season two. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but, that, that's true. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but that's all to say I do believe it is one of the funniest shows that I am currently watching. Well, there you go. So, yep. Big Mouth season two. We did a long podcast. We did a mega-sized podcast. Woo! Our voices, are they holding out? Are we going to be able to talk about spoilers? I guarantee you, Neil went to the moon and back by the time we did that (laughs) podcast. Nice. Seems like we've been in this bunker for long enough. Thanks so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other live and later shows on that network uh, by following us at Spreaker. It's either in the Spreaker app or at Spreaker.com slash Studio DNA. Huge thanks again to Andrew for hanging out thanks, on Sif Pop. You can find him at Flick Freaks everywhere you do your socials. Uh, that's uh, F-L-I-C-K-F-R-E-A-K-S. That is right. Spell it all out. Uh, you can find me at, at Aaron Dicer on Twitter or your movie friend on YouTube, although that will soon change to Sif Pop for the YouTube as well. Also, so. I saw you finally post something on Instagram the other day. <laughs> I've been using it bits and pieces over the last couple months. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to use, like how I best want to use Instagram, and I don't want it to be a place that's annoying... Because I feel like a lot of my followers on Instagram, which somehow I have followers on Instagram. I have no idea why. Because I haven't posted really anything there until this year. 
but a, a lot of them are, you know, followers through the pop culture stuff, right? Yeah. So I don't necessarily want it just to be all pictures of my kids and, you know, family stuff, but I do want that to be part of it. I think I want it to be more of a, a you know, a, a visual look into my life. Well, that's what Instagram is. Right. And so I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what that means, which pictures to post, that kind of stuff. But you had the, the one post with you in the waiting room and the skeleton, you know, yeah, yeah. that's perfect for you right there. <laughs> right. Keep yeah, exactly. That that's my sweet spot. Yeah. That's my sweet spot right there. Yeah. So you can hit me up at Instagram as well. Everything for me is at Aaron Dicer. Uh, much love and gratitude to our Patreon supporters for giving monthly to make this show and others on the network possible. Support starts at three bucks a month, comes with some pretty fun perks. Uh, also, lots of ways to connect with the podcast. You can comment at Spreaker or wherever you listen to your podcast uh, or email us feedback at sifpop.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie loving friends will probably like the show too. So let them know about it and that listening is much easier than, well, going to the freaking moon. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit easier. Yeah. Spoiler chat should be next up in your podcast feed. And uh, we'll be back next week with some more movie chat, probably Halloween. Okay. I'm guessing the new Halloween comes out next week. So. Yeah, it's that, The Hate You Give, and Mid-90s. Those are the three movies. Hate You Give might be another good one. Maybe I'll put a poll up this week. Probably a poll would be a good idea. All right. We'll put a poll up to see what you want to uh, want us to review. Again, follow me on Twitter, at Aaron Dicer, if you want to see that poll. And we'll catch you next week. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.